Today, our show is sponsored by Nutrafol. 30 million women are impacted by weakened or thinning hair. If you are among them, know that you're not alone and there is a solution you can trust to deliver results. Thousands of women have taken back control of their hair with Nutrafol. Nutrafol offers targeted formulas for women that are clinically shown to improve hair growth and thickness with less shedding through all stages of life. Healthier hair growth takes time. You'll begin to experience thicker, stronger, faster growing hair in three to six months. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after six months of use. Nutrafol is physician-formulated to be 100% drug-free. They use medical-grade botanicals in consistently effective doses, so you get the most reliable results. And no matter your stage in life, they have a solution. Nutrafol women's formulation is ideal if you're experiencing thinning hair loss caused by stress, dieting, overstyling, or environmental toxins. Their other formula, Women's Balance, is for additional hormone support for those with thinning hair through menopause. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code SELFIE to save $15 off your first month's subscription. This is their best offer anywhere and it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time. Plus, you get free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com. That's spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com with the promo code SELFIE. Today's episode is sponsored by Somavetic. Somavetic is a device that combines an Eastern approach to health and wellness with modern day technology. If you have a lot of devices in your home, as most of us do, then there are hundreds of signals floating through the air at any given moment. This is called EMF, and some people are really sensitive to it and believe that it can cause some not great things in the body as a result of all of these free radicals bouncing around. If you're concerned with the unwanted influences of electromagnetic radiation or geopathic zones, you'll appreciate Somavetic. Somavetic devices rely on frequency therapies and the healing powers of precious and semi-precious stones and metals to create a natural energy field to harmonize your home. It does this through the controlled release of energy from precious and semi-precious stones. It creates a 360-degree field with a radius of 100 feet in all directions. The founder of Somavetic launched these devices in 2011 as a response to his own ongoing health struggles. After years of no success with Western medicine, he turned to traditional Chinese medicine and found a variety of healing properties with stones and minerals. After some time, he was able to heal his body and has helped others as well, and his experience inspired him to create Somavetic. If you're interested in mitigating EMFs and creating a harmonic field in your environment, these devices are a great solution, and they are beautiful. Each device is comprised of their own semi-precious stones with unique properties. Somavetic is a small company, and all products are handmade and hand-assembled in their Crystal Valley, in the Crystal Valley of the Czech Republic. If you want to try Somavetic, they have a 60-day money-back guarantee to let you try. Visit somavetic.com and use the code SELFIE for 10% off. That's S-O-M-A-V-E-D-I-C.com with the code SELFIE for 10% off. Hello, I'm Sarah James, a lifestyle blogger and self-help aficionado. And I'm Kristen Howerton, a writer and psychotherapist. And you are listening to Selfie, a weekly podcast in the Life Listen Network about two women embarking on a self-care bender. We're both of the opinion that self-care is important, and yet it's elusive. And while we may have all the information we need, we don't always get there. We want to explore different aspects of self-care, from the silly to the serious, looking at body, mind, and spirit, and also just some random targets thrown in there for good measure. We also want to look at the defenses and distractions to keep us from caring for ourselves like we should. Hey guys, 
Well, today we are taking a little bit of a departure from what we actually planned to talk about. We had teased out last week that we were going to be doing the hair episode this week, but the events of the nation compelled us to veer a little bit from our normal topics um, because we want to talk a little bit about self-care when the world seems to be going insane. Yes, and it sure is right now. It sure feels like it. Um, on Monday, we learned of, um, I woke up to the news of um, the mass shooting in Las Vegas where over 50 people lost their lives, just completely devastating. Um, and, you know, prior to that, we're, we're watching the people of Puerto Rico um, in crisis and losing their lives. And prior to that, we're dealing with tension over racial justice. And prior to that, we're dealing with fear over North Korea Sarah, there is a lot going on in the world right now. There's so much going on, and it just, it's horrible. It, it does. It feels like the world is kind of broken. Mm-hmm. I mean, in fact, yesterday there's a, a Twitter account I follow that is purportedly God. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a humor account. But, you know, that account tweeted yesterday, it's all broken. And, you know, I think that is a sentiment that we're all kind of sharing right now is like, what is going on? And I think we're, we're kind of having this collective sense of, of grief and trauma and fear. Yes, so much fear. So much fear right now. Don't really know what to tell my kids. Um, yeah. Just, I, it's, it's in today's society with technology, I feel like you can just access everything you want to see about these things and it's too much and then you feel helpless like you aren't doing anything and it just it creates a really negative situation um in terms of self-care that's for certain well it does because you know when you are watching people losing their lives when you're watching people fear being deported when you're watching you know watching and talking with friends who um, you know, are, are dealing with discrimination and oppression. It's really hard to then be like, yeah, so I'm going to take a spa day or I'm going to go work out or, you know, I'm going to make sure that I'm doing my, my mask on my face. You know, it all, it all just feels very frivolous and, and very inconsequential. And yet at the same time, I also know that self-care becomes even more important in times like this, because if you're not doing it, you just start to go a little insane. You've got to keep healthy boundaries from what's going on. You've got to take care of your own family. You've got to take care of yourself. Of course, it's so important to stay up to date and try to do things and try to help. But if you're falling apart, everything around you is going to fall apart too. But it's just finding that balance and not feeling insanely guilty in trying to find that balance. Yeah. And we are, um, we are going to be joined today. I'm really excited for, for both of our guests because they have some incredible insight, but we are going to be talking with, um, a licensed therapist, um, who deals with grief. That's her specialty. And she's going to be talking to us a little bit, Claire Bidwell-Smith, Um, later in this hour. And then we're also going to be joined by Mickey Jones, who is an activist and who calls herself a justice doula because she is very concerned with that intersection between activism and self-care. So I'm, I'm super excited to talk with them. Me too. Um, 
But yeah, this, this is a real struggle for me. And I will say even just this week, you know, on Monday, um, I woke up, I started watching the news, um, immediately and I sat in front of CNN for almost an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. And it was to the point where, you know, the news was cycling back around and they, they were starting to show the same video footage and the same interviews And yet I continued watching and I I felt compelled to continue watching because I felt like turning it off was and going about my day felt disrespectful to the gravity that these people were living in. Oh, I agree. And yet I have a job and I have children and I, you know... I've got to move on. I've, I've got to take care of my things. And oh, so yeah. it gets confusing with how you, how do you grieve and how do you acknowledge and stay, you know, connected to what's happening in the world, but at the same time, still care for yourself and the people that depend on you. Exactly. Especially in today with technology, like I said before, when it's just 24 seven in front of you. It's everywhere. I did the same thing on Monday morning. Um, we actually, my husband and I were out of town the evening before. And so it wasn't like a normal day to day, get up, get the kids ready for school kind of morning. And I of course went on Twitter and saw that. And then the first thing I saw, which you probably saw as well, I think most people did was that footage from the concert itself where you can actually hear the assault rifle, which is so traumatizing. It's so traumatizing. I can't even imagine what each and every person who was at that concert must be dealing with right now, hearing that kind of noise. Because I know I was just sitting in a hotel room, you know, lucky old me hearing it. And I was sick. I started crying. It was just, it was too much. But what did I do? I, I continue to delve in and find more stuff to watch because like you said, I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do now? I, I feel like I'm, you know, not doing enough. So I just keep watching, but that kind of can become a cycle of really not doing anything. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, I'm, I'm watching CNN and then I tell myself, you got to step away from this. So then I open my laptop and I go on Twitter. Exactly. You can just and- hop around. Right. And we're all talking about the same thing. And, and, and then it's like, you know, and we're going to talk um, about this with Mickey in a little bit, but then it's like, then you start looking for solutions because yes. this grief is so overbearing that you start going, okay, well, let's, let's rally around gun control or let's rally, you know, or last week, let's rally around Puerto Rico and let's shame our president for not doing enough. And, you know, it's a really hard balance, but I, I do think we're in a unique time right now where there's so much news available to us all the time. And that, that hasn't always been the case. Right. No, not at all. Um, you know, I was born and raised in Oklahoma city and when the Oklahoma city bombing happened in 1995, it was a very different story because, you know, you didn't have social media. You didn't have, um, I, I think their cell phones were kind of there, but I mean, I didn't have a cell phone. Um, And at that time, before 9-11, you know, it was the worst terrorist attack to ever take place in America. You know, 168 people killed, over 600 injured. But it was such a a different experience because you didn't have that 24-7 news cycle going on. Um, It was was very traumatizing. I couldn't get a hold of my family for 
over 24 hours because oh my gosh Sarah because you know it was just landlines so all the landlines were all you know it was just mm-hmm. remember back in the days where just like this call can't go through it, yes I remember um, that and it was it was horrible because I didn't know if any of my family members had been in close to the building and they're you know downtown's pretty bustling there's a lot of people around there and it was um it was horrible and um that was just in a sense personally, just because I was so concerned about friends and family and what had happened and nothing had really happened, um, with that kind of magnitude before. But now that I try to think about what would that bombing have been like in today's society, um, it would be just like this mass shooting where it's just everyone seeing everything and it becomes so, it's just, it's so much for a human to bear. Well, and the advent of, you know, everyone having a camera in their back pocket, that's different too. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there are so many advantages to that. I mean, in particular, you know, when there have been situations where, um, you know, people have been arrested and brutalized by police and that kind of footage provides, you know, um, proof that, that there has been manhandling or, or abuse at the hands of police. I mean, there's so many great things about having all of this footage and yet at the same time, I, I do think it is traumatizing for us to we walk into, you know, these kinds of scenarios and, and bear witness, you know, from the front row. Um, and yet I continue to watch. I know, but that is true. It, it, it is front row. Of course, it's I'm not saying that it's as traumatizing for me as it is someone that's actually there. But of it's, course not. It, it might not be our grief, but it's still real grief. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I know, um, you know, I was in Haiti during the big earthquake. Um, that is, that is a situation that I, that I lived through. I was right in the midst of it in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. Um, I survived, but there were buildings to the left and right of the one I was in that had collapsed and the building I was in, um, I couldn't go back into, um, it was incredibly traumatizing. And I, I specifically remember the point at which, cause you know, we lost communication there oh, for a long yeah. time. And I remember the point at which I finally got to the U S embassy because they were evacuating us and I walked in and they had the TV on and Anderson Cooper was in Haiti. Mm-hmm. And I remember like having this weird moment of like, oh my gosh, I'm in this you know, 24 hour news cycle. Like I'm in this story, like that's how big of a deal this is. Right. But I really struggled after that. Um, that was probably one of my biggest, um, times of struggle as it relates to self-care in my entire life, Mm -hmm. because I returned home from Haiti with so much survivor guilt Mm -hmm. and it felt like every single thing I did I was forsaking these people that, that were left behind in Haiti because Mm -hmm. I'm American and I got to fly out on a plane for free paid for by my government. And Mm -hmm. I was welcomed into the arms of red cross workers. And I was flown back to my hometown, like to collapse as I walked onto the plane, you know, and I slept in my bed and all of these people were still in Haiti fighting for, for food and, and basic things. And it was about a year where I really felt like any self-care was frivolous and stupid. Mm -hmm. And I I almost had this mindset of like, I just have to keep fighting 
fighting for Haiti, fighting for, you know, like everything I do has to be meaningful and justice oriented. But the result is that I, I became sick, you know, I, know I became yeah. anxious and depressed and really, I mean, you know, I started having panic attacks, but I would not allow myself a walk on the beach. I would not allow myself a trip to the gym, a trip to the spa, because everything just felt, it, it felt wrong. Um, but I really did myself a disservice because I, I had full on post-traumatic stress disorder. And I don't, I don't mean that as a colloquial, a colloquial right. you know, right. I really had that. Um, and I, and I do think, you know, that people deal with this, maybe not on that large of a scale, but I think we are all dealing with this sort of ambivalence towards self-care in the midst of all this kind of stuff. Because it just drums up those feelings of guilt. Well, I can't, I can't, I can't do this, but I think it's such a good point that you just made. Cause we've talked extensively about when that happened to you in Haiti and what transpired after you got back home. And I think those were probably some of your darkest moments in terms of your mental health. And, it was. and, and part of that was obviously the PTSD, but also because like you said, you weren't allowing yourself, you weren't giving yourself what you needed to take care of yourself. And you further, you know, decline kind of into the spiral of anxiety and depression. It's just so tough to figure out where that balance is. Well, and one of the things that I finally came to was the realization that I am not helping anyone in Haiti by being morose and, and hard on myself and by punishing myself here. Right. That's not helping anyone. I'm not helping anyone by being miserable and by refusing to find joy. And I really had to shift into finding joy again. And, and a how part did of you it do that? Well, honestly, a part of it was watching the Haitian people mm-hmm. because they were still in the midst of it and they were finding joy. You yeah. know, I mean, I, I have very close friends that live in Haiti because of the you know, relationships I've made over the years, um, during the long process of adopting my son. And like, you know, I'm watching, I'm watching them and I'm watching the other people in Haiti, like rise together and really, you know, find joy. And I, I had to talk myself into joy being valid, Mm -hmm. you know, um, because, and I, and I, I, you know, on a micro level, I had to do that on Monday. I had to tell myself, you are not helping these people mm-hmm. by sitting here wallowing and go take a walk on the beach. Go, you know, that's what I did. Like go to set a reset button on your life and go walk on the beach and go remind yourself that the world is beautiful. Yes. You know, there are and still beautiful things. So hard to remember that when you're in the midst of that, but it's so true. And you know, me being the detail oriented person for me, it's almost like I have to set specific boundaries for myself. You can only Sarah, you can only go check Twitter or CNN three times today because checking it 50 times is not going to make the problem any better. It's not going to solve the problem. It's not going to make it better for you, for anyone. Um, because it is, it's just, I feel like I just, I need to know everything and I, I want to, you know, sympathize and what can I do? And in turn, it just, nothing happens. 
Absolutely. We've talked a lot about skincare on the show and specifically tretinoin. If you're not familiar, it's a retinoid, which is an active vitamin A derivative that's used to improve the texture, tone, and appearance of the skin. Today's sponsor, Dear Brightly, has a product called Night Shift, and tretinoin is the active ingredient in Night Shift. This is the only FDA-approved retinoid for treating photoaging, which is premature skin aging due to long-term sun exposure. Tretinoin stimulates collagen production to prevent and treat signs of premature skin aging from years of sun damage, things like fine lines and wrinkles, dark spots, uneven skin tone, and big pores. Tretinoin can only be acquired through a prescription, but it's 20 times more potent than the -the over-the-counter retinol products. It's one of the most well-researched ingredients with over 50 years of research behind it for both acne and photoaging. I had a chance to try Night Shift and I'm really liking it. I have the unfortunate experience of having both breakouts and wrinkles at the same time, and it's great for both. I have seen my fine lines, decreasing. I've seen my skin tone looking better, and it feels really nice. If you've used an over-the-counter retinol before, you know it's really great, but a dermatology-grade retinoid is even better. Night Shift is their dermatologist-formulated serum that's tailored to your skin by doctors online. Dear Brightly works by you first of all starting by sharing your skin story with them, then a doctor evaluates your skin and your skin history. They then tailor your formula and write a prescription, if applicable, and your tailored serum will be delivered to you in the mail. It's super simple and easy. Head to www.dearbrightly.com and enter the promo code SELFIE to get 15% off your first order, which is their very best offer anywhere. That's S-E-L-F-I-E to get 15% off your first order at dearbrightly.com. So when I was a teen learning to shave my legs, my mom did not do me any favors by buying me really cheap disposable razors. If you grew up in as a teen in the 90s, you know the ones, and they left nicks and cuts all over me when I was trying to shave. So with two girls learning how to shave their legs right now, I am committed to making sure that they have good quality razors. Guys, I was probably well into my 30s before I realized the difference a quality razor makes. Today's sponsor is Athena Club. They have great razor kits that we have been using in our house for a couple months. The razor blades are awesome. They are surrounded by this water-activated serum that has shea butter and hyaluronic acid, so you get a silky smooth shave that actually leaves your skin soft and hydrated as opposed to stripped dry. And their blades are spaced out to let hair and shave cream pass through easily so you don't have to make a ton of passes going over and over the skin to remove the hair. Fewer passes means less irritation to your skin, which cuts down on razor burn and ingrown hairs. The razor kit is only $9 with free shipping and it comes with two blade cartridges, a cute little magnetic hook for your shower storage, and your choice of a handle color. I personally chose the coral, but what I really like about it is they have a ton of different colors, black, white, pastel neon. So if you have a big family like mine, everyone can have the razor in their own color so you don't get them confused. What I also love about Athena Club, you guys know I love automating things. You never have to worry about dull blades because they send refills on your schedule. You just choose how often you want them and they will send them automatically with free shipping. I would also highly recommend their Cloud Shave Foam too. It's insanely thick and stays on while you shave so you don't have to reapply. It leaves your skin feeling very moisturized. It's 
really, really good. If you want to try a great quality razor that cuts down on the wastefulness of disposable razors, try Athena Club Razor Kit. You can get 20% off your first order at athenaclub.com with the promo code SELFIE. That's A-T-H-E-N-A-C-L-U-B.com with the promo code SELFIE for 20% off. Well, on that topic of balance, we are really lucky to be joined today by Clara Bidwell-Smith. Claire Bidwell-Smith is a therapist specializing in grief counseling and the author of three books, including her memoir, The Rules of Inheritance, which is currently being adapted for film. By the time she was 25, Claire had lost both of her parents to cancer, and it became her personal mission to understand loss and grief, both for her own healing and those of others. Thank you so much for joining us today, Claire. Thanks for having me, guys. So Claire, we wanted to talk to you a little bit about how we react, you know, kind of as a collective to some of these larger scale tragedies like mass shootings. And it it feels like when something like this happens, there's this kind of collective trauma that happens. Mm -hmm. How, How do we deal with this? You know, I think first we really need to acknowledge our own grief over it. Public grief is really real. You know, we, we identify with the victims, we identify with their families, we can imagine ourselves in that place. It's really hard to see these events unfold and not imagine it happening to our own lives. So the grief is real. And I think that a lot of people try to push away the grief and think, well, you know, I don't really know those people or that wasn't me. So I'm going to deny the feelings I'm having, but the feelings that come up are, are so real. And I think we have to let them come and honor them. I was thinking about that earlier, and it's it's so it's interesting when you think about a, a mass shooting occurring that you don't really know know the people that uh, mm-hmm. were affected and killed. And so, I mean, how do how do we appropriately mourn those people? You know, I think it really helps to actually take steps to honor them in some way. I mean, it can be as simple as lighting a candle in your house. You know, yesterday I did that. I just felt so lost and a little helpless watching all the news events unfold. And so I just lit a candle on my dining room table, just thinking about all the people that were going through it. And I think that there's like a part of our, our soul and our, our person who needs to do that, who needs to honor those people. And we can also do other things. You can attend a vigil. You can go to your spiritual or religious center. There's often a lot of things going on there. You can donate to the cause. I just saw that there's been over like $3 million raised on a GoFundMe page for the victims. Wow. So I think that like, you know, tapping into that, that natural impulse we have to want to do something is really helpful. We can feel so helpless in these times. Um, So actually taking measures to do things feels good. Claire, one of the things that I really struggle with um, when, you know, things like this happen on a national scale is getting, you know, hooked into the 24-hour news cycle and feeling almost this sense of I need to continue watching because mm-hmm. to look away is disrespectful, to walk away from these people's pain and just go do something, um, you know, self-care or something frivolous just feels so disrespectful. So I get kind of stuck in this loop of how to, how to stay engaged in what's really happening in the world while also staying sane and present in my real life. Absolutely. I think so many of us struggle with this, especially with as prolific as social media is these days and the news channels and everywhere you can get it. 
And it is, it's hard to look away and it's hard to not get really sucked into it. And every time you refresh the page, there's a new tidbit or a new story. And I think that for a lot of us, we feel like we're doing something by reading about it constantly or watching it constantly, but we're not actually doing anything except perpetuating a preoccupation with it, anxiety about it, sadness, fear. So I think we have to get really real about checking in with ourselves about how much we're, we're, we're feeding into it. You know, like, is it really serving you? Is it really helping you to watch this much? I think it's definitely appropriate to stay informed and to check in about it, but it there's a certain threshold that you can go beyond where all it does is create anxiety and worry and you're you know, absent from your present day and your present moment. And that's not healthy. Yeah. Right. For me, it's almost like I have to create those boundaries. I have to tell myself specifically, you can check in this many times. And I think that's great. Do that. Because otherwise I'll just, I'll just keep on refreshing, you know, and it, like you said, it's not really doing anything. Yeah, it really isn't. But it gives us the illusion sometimes that we're doing something. That by worrying about something or by focusing on it obsessively, we're actually doing something, but we're really not. So kind of Mm -hmm. checking in with yourself about that continually and putting limits on it. I think that's a great idea. So when you're working with a lot of your clients, obviously are going through all different stages of grief and um, looking at just personally or something like a mass shooting that's happened. How do you suggest that, you know, we maintain optimism in the face of what's going on in our country lately? And there's just so much fear. There is a lot of fear. You know, I think, um, I think we all struggle with this. I think when an event like yesterday happened, we see so much horror and we see a lot of bigger picture stuff too, gun control, like all kinds of things. We start, it starts getting very political. Um, but I think again, it's about limiting our, our like obsession on reading about it all and then choosing to focus on other things that are positive, choosing to focus on ways we can make a difference, choosing to focus on our present lives. You know, the proliferation of social media and news media has drawn us further than ever away from the present moment. And I think that we have to make a lot of concerted efforts to bring ourselves back continually to the present moment of like, what are you doing right now in your life? Like, do you need to be packing school lunches? Do you, you know, should you pet your cat? Like what, what's happening right now in your life and um, bringing that back. And I, I think a second part of that is that we need to remember how resilient we are as humans. I think we have a natural capacity to cope to a certain degree. Um, we have to honor the grief and the feelings that come up with this, but we also have to honor our natural ability to be resilient and to focus on how much positivity there is in the world. You know, news stuff highlights really intense stories, tragic stories, because it draws people in. There's so many good things also happening. The sense of community that comes out of this, the sense of like, of gathering together, of people pulling together, of people working together is also so beautiful to look at. You know, one last question I have is, you know, I I noticed that a lot of people, um, you know, and in particular, um, shortly after a mass shooting, a lot of people, it seems like a coping mechanism becomes activism because we're Mm -hmm. fraught, we're frustrated, we want to fix this. And so we move into, you know, perhaps conversations around gun control or legislation or something that can prevent or fix this thing that we're traumatized by. Can activism be a form of self-care? I think so. Um, Again, you know, I think it has to be looked at to a certain limit. Sometimes people choose 
a lot of action as a way of avoiding feelings. Um, Mm. So when you're feeling really sad or really scared or really angry, sometimes you can dive into doing stuff to fill up that space and and tamp down those feelings. So I think it's about finding a balance. Like, of course, it's so great to be active and to do things and to make meaning out of tragedy and to find ways to make the world a better place. I think that's always a really wonderful response, but also only to a certain degree, as long as you're honoring the feelings that are coming up for you. That is such a good point. It really is just being sure to honor those feelings. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. You've given us a lot of helpful insight on this. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. I'm so glad you guys are talking about everything you're talking about. So I want to talk a little bit more about this idea of activism being a form of self-care, because I think it's interesting. Um, But I also know we're going to talk to Mickey Jones about this in a a minute, um, because self-care is important as a component of activism, but it also can be a form of self-care. And I know um, from my own life, um, back when 9-11 happened, you know, that was yet another time that we were sort of grieving as a nation and we were, you know, feeling like we wanted to do something. And I, at the time, um, you know, was a therapist and ended up volunteering with um, the Salvation Army. And I flew out um, and basically was available um, to the people who were victims of 9-11. And I did everything from checking families in at the morgue um, to view the deceased, um, to stocking, um, canned foods, um, to meeting with families, um, who were coming in and and just had basic needs and sort of social work kind of things. But I basically went there for a week and just, I made myself available, Mm -hmm. but it was, it was interesting because in a way it was, you know, it was a form of self-care because I felt like I was doing something, you know, Um, in the days leading up to that, I just, you know, like everyone else, I'm watching the news going like, I don't know what to do. I feel distraught. I feel hopeless. And I did gain a sense of hope by going and doing something. But at the same time, it was depleting. And there was a really interesting thing that happened when I was, when I was in New York. Um, you know, so there were a number of organizations that were at the time considered, um, like on the ground or ground zero responders. So we were in the pit area and we had access to the pit area and, you know, Red Cross, um, Salvation Army, a couple others. And we were in then invited, um, at the end of our shifts to go to, um, the St. Peter's Roman Catholic church that was pretty close by where they had set up self-care for the volunteers. And so it was like, it was so interesting because volunteers came in to serve us. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of our shift, we could go over there and they had mas- masseuses and they yeah. had therapists and they had chaplains f- serving us. And I remember feeling a lot of cognitive dissonance around it. Like, why would I deserve a massage right now? Mm-hmm. You know, like, why, like, why? why is there all this stuff for me here? I mean, they had podiatrists, like they had doctors, they had, you know, and it it was so interesting though, because I, at the same time that I felt that way, I had been standing on my feet for so long during one of the shifts that I literally, the pads of my heels, I no longer had feeling in. Yeah. 
and there was a podiatrist and I walked in and he gave me like a shot of something in my foot and that allowed me to continue right on the next day. But there, I think there is cognitive dissonance when it comes to self-care in the midst of crisis. <laughs> Absolutely. It just, it, it revolves around that guilt that we talked about. But at the same time, you know, it takes me back to when Oklahoma City came together after the bombing and everyone's there trying to help each other and all those different facets like you're talking about when, um, during 9-11. But really what's serving you and what's um, actually care, how you're caring for yourself is community, is being physically around other people who are I there to agree. help you and love you. And we can talk about all the details of this and that and the, you know, the structure of helping people, but really it's just being around other humans joined together for a cause. And I think we're finding that this has not, this is not just in terms of tragedy. It's just, you know, we're breaking away from this right now. We're in this, you know, era of technology where like that is, that's going away. Like that one-on-one, like actually yes. touching a person, hugging a person, looking at a person in their eyes, we're yes. losing that. And that is so important to it us. It is. It and is. And I, I actually heard some research on oxytocin, which is, you know, that is kind of the feel good hormone in the human body. Yes. And, you know, oxytocin surges when we're having sex and it surges when we're breastfeeding a baby or even holding a baby. And it surges when we laugh in person with friends. Mm-hmm. But the research shows we do not get oxytocin hits from screen online text interactions. Yep. None. We might get a dopamine hit. Dopamine hit, yes. But we don't get the oxytocin hit and that there is literally something therapeutic about gathering together with other people. Yes. And I'll share a really interesting, weird story um, around that. But but the day that 9-11 happened, you know, I did the thing where I sat and I watched the news cycle and I think all of us did. I mean, that was just yes. so completely traumatizing. Yeah. And that evening we got together with some friends and it was the weirdest thing. We gathered around a piano and we sang John Denver songs together. <laughs> oh, None boy. of this was planned. Yeah. But it was like so therapeutic yes. because we needed to find some joy. We needed to find community And like, I will forever remember that night of like crying and singing John Denver songs. Yeah. You know? And that's the beauty right there. That's the beauty in the world that when we become inundated with tweet after tweet after TV show after news, all of that, like we forget about that. And that is what pulls us out every time. And, you know, right now I feel like it's so fresh. The shooting in Vegas is so fresh right now. I mean, this just happened. And, you know, you and I both are even, we're still in that cycle of like, God, the world is so effed up. Like, and you just can go on this roller coaster of emotions, right? Um, It's easy to forget that there are so many beautiful things still happening in this world right now. It's just hard to see it. I mean, I'm having a hard time. I mean, trust me, last night I was just ranting. That's the only way we're going to be able to get out of this. Yeah, and I do, I mean, I, I really do think that the best self-care in the midst of this is community, is surrounding mm-hmm. ourselves with loved ones, is get, just getting back to the basics of, of friendship, of care and concern, of gathering our people around us. I mean, I know, you know, after um, 
after the results of, you know, the, the last election. And, you know, I know, you know, many people may have different views on it, but I was fairly devastated and a group of friends of mine were fairly devastated. And many of them were devastated in, in ways that I can't comprehend because they are immigrants or because they're LGBT. I mean, you know, I, um, there were greater ramifications, they're minority, greater ramifications for even some of my friends. Mm -hmm. And I remember that night, I just, I said, everybody come over. There's no agenda. Come in your pajamas. And we just, we got together and we drank and we cried and we laughed Mm -hmm. and it was so healing, you know? And it's like, it's healing to remember that when the world is going crazy, like you can still have your community. Nobody can take that away from you. No one can take the community away from you. And then if you take that, that knowledge, that warmth of community and maybe add in a little bit of action as well. Yeah. And then, you know, it's, it, it feels good on all sides. And, you know, there are so many ways to take action. Well, I know that you, I mean, you went to a women's march. Yeah. And I'm sure that that felt... Oh, I mean, it was unbelievable. You know, it was the first time I felt compelled to travel across the country for a cause I believed in. And, you know, I've always had strong feelings about racial and gender equality. But after the election in November, I just felt like it was something I had to do. And words just can't express what it felt like to be surrounded by hundreds of thousands of people that were all there to support equality for all. It was beautiful. It was a beautiful thing. And part of that was being shoulder to shoulder with people. And that sense of community, it just felt like, you know, one million fold that day. Yeah, I can, I completely agree. And I think, um, you know, that there, you're right. There's nothing like being in person with other people, pushing towards a common goal, especially when something horrible has happened that you're reacting to there. It's, you know, it's completely different than following a hashtag on Twitter or having friends that agree with you on Facebook. And, you know, some of the more healing times for me have been, you know, after, um, after the Eric Garner situation, which was, you know, a situation where a a black man unarmed was, um, was shot by police and it felt very unjust. Um, and I went to New York and participated in a a huge large scale March. Um, and and that did feel like a form of self care being surrounded by other people who care about this and, and being reminded that regardless of, you know, um, what the justice system may be communicating to me, that, you know, many of my fellow countrymen care very much about this. And I felt the same way. I went to my local women's march, but just seeing other people in my community that, that really care about women's rights. It's, I think that that can be a really healing form of self-care to surround yourself with, with other people who feel the same way. Oh, I completely agree. And I'm really interested to hear what Mickey Jones has to say about this. Mickey Scott B. Jones is an activist, a facilitator, and a nonviolence practitioner who was recently named one of the Black Christian leaders changing the world by the Huffington Post. Mickey explores the intersection between self-care and healing justice, and she's especially awesome today because she's coming to us from her phone, in her car, in a parking lot. Hashtag mom life. So Mickey, thank you for joining us today. So we wanted to talk with you um, because, you know, you absolutely came to my mind as someone who's always been passionate about 
social justice, but also, you know, kind of soul care in the midst of that. You've called yourself a justice doula. What does that mean? Yeah, so for a long time, I was a birth and postpartum doula. So I helped um, families birth, you know, their new little bundle of love into the world. And that takes um, all kinds of support. You know, you have to give information, informational support, physical support, emotional support, spiritual support. And now I consider myself a justice doula where I help people birth more love, justice, and shalom into the world. And actually, it takes the same kind of support. Um, so sometimes that looks like informational support, where it's about educating people, giving them information. Sometimes that's physical support. It's actually a hug. Um, it's actually putting around somebody. Sometimes that's emotional support. Uh, that's, you know, praying with somebody or dancing with somebody or crying with somebody. Uh, we need all of that to actually birth all of this goodness into the world that we're trying to birth, especially in the midst of being assaulted right. by all the, all the trauma and the negativity. We need uh, the same kind of support that a doula brings to birthing. And on that note, you mentioned the word trauma, and that's just, it so resonates right now. You know, we have mass shootings, white supremacist rallies, political strife. There's just so much angst right now. So how do you suggest we find inner peace amongst all of this external turmoil? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the question, right? Is um, how do we sustain ourselves as we are trying to create this new world uh, that we want to live into? And I talk a lot about brave space. And I think brave space is where personal and social transformation meet. We've got to be doing the deep personal work of our own healing, of, you know, dealing with our own stuff, um, of our personal relationships, alongside of doing the work of social transformation, right? These large-scale um, efforts to transform the world. If we're not doing both, right, and that's what's often missing in movement space, the more I read about how stuff went down in the civil rights movement in the 60s, um, the, the more I see the dysfunction of the relationships, right? Like I see these people as real people and realize that they were dealing with the same things we were dealing with. I mean, I'm almost, look, I'm almost at the point where I'm done with Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> but <laughs> when I read about how he treated women and treated some of the women that I adore and consider my mental mentors, I'm like, somebody needs to sit that man down, right? Like, <laughs> he, he was trifling in a lot of ways, right? And so how do we learn both from the, the beautiful legacies of our elders right. uh, and, and also learn from their mistakes and their challenges and how, you know, and the problems that they had with each other. I want to learn from both. And I want to then incorporate that into the work that we're doing today. Yeah. Absolutely. There's a blog post that you wrote, and this was actually a couple months ago, and this was not in response to, um, you know, what happened this week. But I think it's so resonant. You said, for all my activist, organizer, social justice warrior, touched by the pain in the world type, beloveds, the air feels heavy today. So many effed up headlines and painful hashtags. You may be tempted to just put your head down and work. You'll be tempted to survive on coffee and rage. 
You might start to see your morning exercise as a luxury and spend that time writing or meeting with folks instead. You will hand someone their ass when they mouth off on a Facebook comment, and it might feel good. You will feel the urgency of the moment and want to work instead of making dinner or taking teenagers to the pool. And that was so profound to me because I feel like I'm in that space right now. I mean, that was written out of my uh, out of my real life, right? Like, yeah. That is me talking to me as a mom of teenagers who have to decide, you know, am I going to close my laptop and take them to the pool because they've been begging me all day? Right. Or am I going to feel like I'm the only one that can write this email about this meeting? And so, you know, I'm going to put my kids off one more day. Yeah. And so, I mean... And, and not to say there aren't times when you just have to push it and push through and do it. There are. Um, but actually living full lives with love and relationship and compassion for ourselves and for other people is resistance, is yes. building our resilience. Like, we get caught up and be a widget in the, in the, you know, cause of justice. And we can be so focused on producing more justice that we reproduce the same systems of oppression that are in, you know, this, the, in the culture that we want to tear down. And so I'm interested in how do I kind of produce the, the ultimate rebellion, which is saying, I'm not playing your games anymore. I'm not mm. participating in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that, that too is, is self-care, is communal self-care. And that's the kind of thing that I'm interested in is actually changing systems by living in a different way. That's, that's fascinating. So it's, you know, what's funny, Mickey, is one of the questions I had for you was, can activism be a form of self-care? But as we're talking, I think another interesting question is, can self-care be a form of activism? Right. Yeah, yeah. I think, like, I think that's the radical proposition. Mm-hmm. Is, is, and not self-care alone, right? Because there's a commodified self-care that's like, you know, go get your nails done. And, uh, you know, let's be real. A lot of that behavior is highly isolating. Uh, it's super classist. Uh, you yeah. Know, it, it, it only um, applies to certain kinds of people. And so what does it look like to engage in a kind of self-care that's deeply communal, mm. that isn't tied to how much money you have, and uh, that that meets both basic needs and feels really juicy and luscious and um, nurturing to one another, right? So that could be things like sharing a meal um, and, and you know, spending $20 on a bottle of wine instead of 10. Um, you know, it can mean um, making sure that whatever meeting you're going to has child care so that everyone can come and everyone can bring, you know, their kiddos if they have to. Um it, it, it means, you know, when somebody has to step back, that somebody else pulls forward and that there's no judgment about that. I mean, there, so there's lots of ways to engage in communal self-care. Um, or if we're going to do massages, right, like we, we share the cost by, like, we're going to have a night where a massage therapist comes to somebody's house and, you know, massages people. And that's, you know, we do it together. But hmm. it, it always being an isolating thing playing right back into the capitalist frame, you know, of like, go get your shit together and go do it somewhere else where I don't have to see it and where we can pay somebody else to take care of. Yeah, absolutely. And it's affirming to hear you say that because Sarah and I were just 
kind of coming to that, that this, this idea of community is really, I think, where a lot of the healing can take place in the midst of this kind of collective trauma stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I think that's, that's actually the key. And that's actually where self-care becomes uh, your activism. Yeah. Right? It's because empire is all about isolation mm-hmm. and about destroying community. And, and so building community um, and, and taking care of one another is, is an act of rebellion against the empire. I love that. I love that. I do too. Well, Mickey, thank you so much for chatting with us today. I think your insights are just so important. Well, thanks, girl. I'm always here. Let's chat again. Sometime. We should. I would love to when we have more time for sure. Mickey, you're the best. All right. Well, Sarah, it's interesting. I I actually feel better already. <laughs> I kind of do too. I, you know, I mean, I feel like even just us having this conversation felt like a form of self-care and you know, talking about some of this collective grief and talking about, um, you know, some of the difficulties in watching what's going on in the world, but just, you know, putting our feelings out there and kind of like Claire said, owning and acknowledging those feelings. That will stick with me for a very long time, what she said about that. We, we have to acknowledge our own grief. Yeah, absolutely. And I love just the idea of, you know, finding the balance of being mindful and sitting in our feelings Mm-hmm. And then taking appropriate action. Yes. So, guys, we want to offer some ways that you can take action if you feel so led. We are going to put a bunch of resources up on our website, which is selfiepodcast.com. Um, but some ways that you can take action if you are, you know, feeling compelled to do so. Um, we would encourage you to donate to Puerto Rico, and we will have some places where you can do that up on our website. Absolutely. And also... Um When it comes to guns, you know, I don't know if you all have heard of the Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. Um, It's a wonderful organization that's grassroots, nonpartisan, and you can go to their website, which we'll link up on SelfiePodcast.com to uh, join. Yeah, really great organization. And, you know, it's inclusive for everyone, for, you know, people who like guns and people who don't. And at the end of the day, what we're really looking for is saner gun laws. Um, you can donate blood, particularly this is true if you live in Vegas, but it's just a good reminder for all of us that donating blood and making sure our local reserves are full and there if any of us should have a tragedy. So um, you can look into donating blood locally. Absolutely. And then also remember, you can always text RESIST to 50409 to contact your senators about issues that you feel really strongly about. And we'll link that up as well. Thanks for joining us. Continue the selfie conversation with us on Instagram at at selfie podcast and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash selfie podcast. You can also visit our website to check out the resources we've talked about in each episode at selfiepodcast.com. Make sure to subscribe to Selfie on iTunes so that you can catch up with us next week. A huge thanks to Shepherd Audio for our intro music. Take care.